You're listening to the Creekside Church Sunday morning message. Stay tuned for a sermon from Pastor George. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Doing well. All right. Uh, Real quick, if you were here last week or you listened to it online, uh, you probably heard me say every year we take some time to review the past year, plan and strategize and look forward to the year ahead. And we're just about to do that. As, as an organization, Creekside Church, our fiscal year ends at the end of August. And, sorry, I almost choked on my own air. Ends at the end of August and begins uh, the 1st of September. And part of the process, as we look back and review, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Now, um, Why do we want to hear from you? Because we want to ensure that we are being effective in the strategy that we have in uh, in accomplishing the assignment that God's given this church. And when I say this church, you are part of this church. It's not my church. It is Jesus's church. But you are part of the body that makes up the bride of Christ. So every single one of us, whether you feel it or not, believe it or not, we have a part to play in this community of faith. We do. God's gifted you, resourced you to, for them to be used to glorify him within this community where God's planted you. Now, part of that is what we like to call a uh, growth and engagement survey. If you are here or have a bulletin, you may have found this card in your bulletin. It's an anonymous survey. Now, wh- I want to make something clear. This is not a complaint form. Because I know we're human And whenever we're given an opportunity to critique, what do we tend to do? Criticize. That's not what this is for. This is to give honest feedback, insight, input, so we can better strategize to uh, achieve the the assignment that God's placed on this uh, this church. So uh, I will say up front, there's a little bit of a typo on the back. It's the last question before the comment box. Says, do you believe you are growing to be more obedient to Christ? It's not friendly family through event, flyer, invite, internet, driving by, or other. It is just simply a yes or no, or I, I need help. Whatever you want to write, just write your answer to that question in the box provided on the back. Uh, you can also, if you're techn- uh, technically savvy, you can whip out your camera and you can scan that QR code and take this online as well. Submit your survey online. Now, if you do this one, paper, do not duplicate. You get one shot. We don't need your second opinion. It's one or the other. Okay? Um, So uh, take a moment to do that today, and then you could drop it in the baskets on the table where you put your offering, or also the offering boxes at either exit door. You could drop it in there, or you could drop it off at uh, the guest central uh, uh, area desk i don't even know what we call those things carts something where that really cool big guest central sign is you could drop it off there all right how how was that dude worship today all dudes leading us in worship impressive pastor jesse and the team and i know that was uh the drummer uh welcome back david kirker yeah playing drums for us, so uh, we're going to get right into it, I, 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 because I just got a feeling today, 
that I'm going to be talking to some people who really love God and who really love people. If that's you, say, I'm here. All right. We're going to talk about another thing. Another thing. Two weeks ago, mistakes. Last week, um, uh, living in our past tends to kill our future. And we're going to continue on with this theme, talk about another thing today that I believe prevents us from moving forward in life. Moving forward in, in living a fulfilling life, not just in our relationship with Jesus, but with others as well. Something else that keeps us from the future that God has for us. Today I want to talk about conquering something that, quite honestly, is something that I wrestle with, and I think it's probably maybe the most significant personal work that God is doing in my own life as well in this season. It's something that I've, I've been praying about and praying for. And, and I'm, I'm constantly working on this. Talking to my wife about this. And the thing I want to talk about, the thing that keeps us moving forward, the thing I want to talk about today is overcoming the destructive power of comparison. Comparison. Chances are that at some point in your life you have found yourself looking at somebody else. You have found yourself dissatisfied when you looked over at someone who had something a little bit better than what you have. If we're being completely honest with ourselves, we've all done that in some way, shape, or form. For me, I think the first time that I really remember getting hit by the curse of comparing was always around Christmas time or birthdays. Why does my brother get that and I don't? Why did my sister get this for her birthday and all I got was this? Am I just preaching to myself today? I mean, we can relate to this, right? Why did they get something that I didn't get? Truth is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The fastest way to kill something special in your life is to compare it with something else. The fastest way to kill even God's purpose for your life is to compare, compare it with something else. I mean, you may love your new kicks. You just got them. You got them on the drop. You won the lottery. I mean, you really love them, and you're thankful for them. It's the most fire you've ever had on your two feet until you look over at what your friend got because his are just a little bit better. And then you, what do we do? We go from being blessed, feeling blessed, to completely feeling jealous. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. What I also know to be true is where comparison begins, contentment ends. When you start comparing you begin, you know, contentment begins to die. And it's never been easier to compare in the history of our world than it is right now. Social media, anybody? Social media, you, you, can, you can be having a really good day. Living your best life until you pull out your phone and you start scrolling through Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and you see everyone else having fun. Well, you're stuck at work. And what happens? FOMO kicks in. You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. And you begin to say things like, why didn't they invite me? How come I don't get to do it? Why wasn't I included? 
Why didn't I get to go? Full transparency, I worked at a place called Financial Title uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was in Lafayette. The exciting world of escrow. And um, my buddy, who was a sales rep for the title company, best friend of mine, came in one morning and he said, George, guess what, man? I hit my sales and they're sending me on a cruise. And I, automatically I filtered it, filtered it through, well, I'm here, stuck here. Why can't I go? And then, you know, instead of celebrating him, I said, you suck. And he straight up said, dude, why aren't you celebrating me? I thought you were my friend. And a whole conversation ensued. Never did that again. But that's what we do. It's so easy to lose contentment for where you are and what you have in life when you begin to compare it to somebody else. And the young people in this room, you, I'm praying that you get a grip on this now because it only gets worse. And I know how much you deal with it in school. It's easy to lose contentment when you start to compare. I heard it put this way. The problem is we're comparing our behind-the-scenes with everyone's highlight reel. We're comparing our behind-the-scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. And then we're sitting there going, well, we know all about how our life is super boring, our everyday life. But everybody else is like, hey, here we are at Disneyland, and, I, and you're not. That's what it feels like. And before long, we find ourselves miserable because whenever we, wherever comparison begins, contentment ends. I want to dive in, and I'm going to look at a few different portions of Scripture today. And I pray that God will work in some hearts in a very real way, powerful way, like He's doing this within me. I want to start with something Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He was saying, basically, we don't dare compare ourselves with other people. He says this in verse 12 of chapter 10. He said, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other. Using themselves as the standard of measurement. And he goes, how ignorant. Well, he said it with a little more force. Basically, he says, you know what? Don't be stupid. How ignorant it is to say, look, look how she always has a boyfriend. And I never have one because no one ever likes me. But she gets all of them. Or look, look how they own their home, and their stocks are doing awesome, and I don't have that. Or their parents, their parents let them do whatever they want, and I have a curfew. Or I got to turn in my phone at 8 p.m. We do it all the time. We compare. And Paul is saying how stupid it is to compare your life to somebody else's. How ignorant. In fact, the problem with comparing does two things. When we compare, it does two things. It either makes you feel superior or inferior. When we compare, and you know what the truth is? Neither one of those honors God. 
when we compare, it makes us feel better than or less than. And neither one of those honors God. Better than or less than when we compare. I mean, you probably said it, wow, you know, so-and-so got this, and I feel less than because of what they got. How come I didn't get it? Or worse, you feel better than, you feel superior to somebody else. And it may go something like this. I got a car for my 16th birthday because I was super obedient to my parents. And you know what? I'm super faithful, and God loves me. And look at that old piece of junk that that guy drives. God probably doesn't love him as much as he loves me. I mean, we do things like that. Maybe we do it in the way of, well, listen, I'm not sinning as bad as that person. I don't do what they do. I mean, my sins and my mistakes, they don't compare to Tony's. That's hypothetical. He's just right there in my view site. I mean, we do that all the time. I mean, I go to church at least twice a month. So-and-so only shows up like once every six weeks. We compare all the time. And what does comparing do? It makes you either feel inferior or superior. And neither one of those honors God. What I want to do is I want to dive in and be really transparent about how this has impacted me. How it's impacted me. And I want to let God's word hopefully speak to us all. There's a pastor named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in the Atlanta area. And some of you may have heard of him. And he did a message on this very subject. But he called it living in the land of Ur. Land of E-R. Ur. Living in the land of Ur. And his main thought was this. There's no winning in comparing. There's no win in comparisons. No one wins. And what he said is that everybody simply wants Ur. E-R. Whatever someone else has, they want that plus er. They want to be rich, er. They want to be happy, er. They want to be strong, ger. They want to be smart, ter. They, whatever it is, whatever it is with E-R, I want to have what you have plus er. You with me so far? Then there's another pastor who I listen to on a regular basis who says the problem with Andy's observation is, you know, we start to say, I just don't want er, I want est. E-S-T. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're running a race, I don't want to be faster, I want to be fastest. I don't want to be greater, I want to be the greatest. Friends, this is a sickness that we often deal with in our lives. And I want to look at a portion of Scripture that, to me, is just not only incredibly powerful, but it's actually kind of hilarious. And I never saw this before, and you may, not, you may have not have seen this either. You know, when you read the Bible, have you ever thought, wow, what I'm reading, I mean, I'm digging it, it's about real people. We're reading about real people that are just like us. People like us who have real struggles, who do some weird and stupid things. And it can actually be pretty funny. What I want to do is show you in John chapter 20, 
about a little conflict uh, that is going on between two of of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John. A little conflict. Now, some would argue that Peter and John didn't like each other. I mean, and then you may say, well, how did they not like each other, man? They were disciples of Jesus. They hung around and, and, you know, they walked and talked with Jesus. They're hanging out with Jesus. But the more you read into this chapter in, in chapter 21, you know, the more you think, I'm not sure that they didn't like each other. I actually think there was an undercurrent of competition that was going on between the two. In fact, if you look all through the Gospels, they, stay, they say stuff like this, and you may be familiar with these statements. Hey, you know, I got, I'm the one that got to sit next to Jesus and lay my head into his chest. You know, I, I'm the one that walked to Jesus on water. I was closest to him. Now who's Jesus' favorite? There's this competition happening between two disciples. Why? Because they're just like you and me. They're still regular people. Now, John, in my opinion, sounds like he was probably a little bit annoying. And again, it's just my observation. If I was Peter, I probably wouldn't like John. One of the reasons is, whenever John writes in his gospel, he refers to himself in the third person. And that's annoying. It'd be annoying to you if I stood up here and said, well, George likes, you know, oh, never mind. Anyone who refers to themselves in the third person has issues. God still loves you, but we'll be praying for you. See, John not only refers to himself in the third person, but you know what he calls himself? He calls himself the one that Jesus loved. The one that Jesus loved. How ridiculous is that? The one that is Jesus' favorite. The one that Jesus loved. So evidently here again we see, and it's just my observation, but there's some tension, some competition between Peter and John. And Peter is comparing himself to John. And John's comparing himself to Peter. Who's the favorite? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Who's the favorite of Jesus? Let me give you a little context of John 20. I want to encourage you to to read this more in detail on your own because I'm going to paraphrase and skip through some of John chapter 1 and some of John chapter 21. So you can bookmark that, earmark it on your digital device, and read it sometime this week. So it's three days after Jesus died, after the resurrection. He was supposed to be in the tomb. But when Mary got there, what happened? The stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to think. Did someone steal his body? What'd they do? Where'd he go? What happened? So Mary went running. She went running back to the disciples, and this is how the story goes. And I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice how many times the Apostle John tells you who's faster in a foot race between him and Peter. Aren't, aren't you glad you showed up to church today? Some of you are going, man, I wish I brought my Bible just to make sure George is talking. (laughs) It's right there in the Bible, I promise you. And you're going to be so glad you came to church, just for the story. It's amazing, watch this. So the tomb is empty, Christ is risen. Jesus came back from the dead, and John's all excited that he's faster than Peter. Check this out, verse 20. Early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away, removed from the entrance. 
So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Say it with me. The one Jesus loved. You see how full of himself he is? And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where uh, they have put him. Now watch this. You ready? So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but who came in first? The other disciple outran Peter. And what did he do? He reached the tomb first. Grown men. Really? Hey, everyone, just in case you're wondering, Jesus came back to life. Christ is risen. And guess what? I beat Peter to the tomb. Both were running, the Bible said. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Then, in verse 8, John says, Finally, the other disciple, who had what? Just in case you missed it the first time. Just in case you didn't know I, John, made it to the, you know, beat Peter to the tomb. Just wanted to reiterate it for you. Also went inside. That's just crazy talk. The greatest event in all of history. The very thing that our faith is based upon. John saying, neener, neener, neener. I beat Peter to the tomb because I ran faster. Christ is risen. I'm faster. Christ is risen. I'm the one who, you know, raised to the tomb. Then, that's just in John 20. There's more in John chapter 21. More. At first, you know, they, they're... Uh, uh, Peter says, hey, in verse 20, uh, chapter 21, he says, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going fishing. And some of the other di- uh, disciples go out too, but they're not catching anything. And you may be familiar with the story. So some guy walks up on the scene. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. He shows up on the scene, and at first they don't know who Jesus is. They didn't know it was Jesus, but he says this, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And they throw their nets on the other side of the boat, and what happens? It says, the disciple Jesus loved said this, I recognized him first. I knew who it was. I was not shocked. I knew. I saw him first. Then what happened next is where the power of the story comes into play. Peter has a very powerful encounter with Jesus, but you have to understand the backstory. See, before the crucifixion, Peter, you know, he was very bold in his love uh, for Jesus. And again, we're going to see in a second that he almost kind of backed up the bus over the other disciples a few times. And Peter said this, Jesus, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus, I I totally love you. For sure, without a doubt, I love you. You are God. Uh, You uh, you son of man. If all these other losers are unfaithful to you, I will always be faithful to you. I've got your back, Jesus. I'll never leave you. I'm always going to stand right with you. Again, my paraphrase. See, Peter was really bold, almost implying that the other disciples are going to flake out and would deny Jesus. And Peter, he's saying, no, you know, they, they might do that, but me, I'll never do that. Not me. Then what happens? A little girl shows up. A little girl confronts Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? Aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus? He's like, no, I don't even know who, who that guy is. Never heard of him in my life. What are you talking about? And just like that, 
Peter denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times, and Jesus said that would happen. And we actually see in Scripture that not only did he deny him three times, but Jesus saw him do it. Can you imagine that? How Peter must have felt? I mean, Peter's crushed. He's brokenhearted. He's devastated. He's humiliated. Then Jesus, the one who they believe was the Messiah, was crucified. And then, he's, then now he's risen, and Peter gets another opportunity to encounter him again. Down in 21, we see that Jesus, I'm not going to go into the correlation between denying three times and why Jesus gave him three opportunities to confess his love for him. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about John and Peter, who's faster in a race. So, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And then what was Jesus' response? Then feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter again, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I do. And then Jesus says again, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks a third time and actually changes the word in the Greek. It wasn't this just kind of like, yeah, I love you, high five, we're good. It's this deep, agape, intimate kind of love. Something that is deep and, and rooted and, you know, it's, I, I can't even describe the word love. That, and Jesus says, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Now this time, Peter's kind of hurt. He's saying, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I deeply am committed and I intimately love you. And that's where we pick up in verse 20, chapter 21. It says, Peter turned around and saw that, say it with me, the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now, just in case that didn't make the point, uh, the New Living Translations puts in this caveat that this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? So John really wanted to make it known who he was talking about. The disciple whom Jesus loved. When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus. Now, you got to understand that Peter's having this, this encounter with Jesus and and then what does Peter do? He sees John, the competition, and he asks Jesus, okay, Lord, I get it, but what about this guy? What about him? What about him? You told me to feed your sheep, but what's his job? What are you telling him to do? Why is he just standing there freakishly behind me listening to our conversation? He didn't say that. But what about John? And I love how Jesus answered. Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? What does it really matter to you? Why are you wasting your time on John? Why are you wasting your time on him? I'm talking to you, Peter. I'm talking to you. And Jesus says, as for you, say it with me, church, 
you must follow me. John, or Peter, listen, Peter, your assignment is to do what I'm asking you to do. Your lane is to feed my sheep. Your assignment is to follow me. Your lane is to feed my sheep. I told you, John, or Peter, to feed my sheep, not John. I told you, Peter. This is what I want you to do. Feed my sheep. Stop worrying about John. Don't worry about him. Do what you're called to do. Your assignment is to feed my sheep. Now, friends, we have to understand that we cannot faithfully follow Jesus if we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. You can't. We cannot fully, faithfully follow Jesus. We can never be who He's fully called us, created us to be if we're always looking over our shoulder saying, what about them? Why do they get to do what they get to do and I don't? What do they have that I don't? What are they doing that I don't get to do? Why, where are they going? Why are, are they getting to go there? Why are they getting all the attention? Why are they more blessed than I am in this area of my life? And if you live there, you will find that you can never fully, faithfully follow Jesus if you're always comparing yourself to somebody else. Why is it that we do this? Newsflash. We are broken, we're imperfect, and we are sinful human beings. Our sin nature, what does it do? It, it, it takes us away from the heart of God toward ourselves. And we are trying to find some external satisfaction to satisfy some internal longing. But there's no external accomplishment, no external blessing, no relationship, no amount of money, no satisfaction that will ever quench the inner spiritual longing that you and I have. You know, so what do we do? I'm going to chase Ur. I want Ur and I want to be the est. That's what we do. We need to understand that there's not enough of anything in this temporary world that will satisfy the spiritual brokenness that every single one of us have on the inside. You can never have enough money. You can, you can never get enough likes. You'll never have enough followers. There's not enough attention. There's not, never going to be a perfect relationship. You'll never have a good enough house. You'll never go on the best vacation. You can look for it. You can look for it. You can spend time, energy, and resources looking for it. But there is nothing on the outside that will ever satisfy you on the inside besides the God who created you. This is why it's stupid. Again, this is stuff I'm learning as well. This is why it's useless. It's a waste of time. This is why it's so destructive and it hurts. 
It makes you feel superior or it makes you feel inferior. And neither one of those honors God. There's no external satisfaction that will ever satisfy the internal longing that we have. Now, you can probably relate to what I'm about to say. What do we do? We tend to look to the outside, right? To satisfy this longing. And we may say things like, do you like me? Do you really like me? Did I do good enough? Do I, do I belong? Do I have enough popularity that I, I finally matter? Do I fit in? Do you think I'm, I'm cool now because I'm wearing this? Or because I did this? Or because I got this? Did I live up to your expectations? Did I please you? Was I, was I you know, am I being what you want me to be? Are you, are you proud of me? We're looking on the outside for external things to satisfy that inward longing that we have. There's never an external answer that ever satisfies, satisfies and meets the needs, the internal need. And I think that's why we have to answer this very important question. And we have to get it right or we will be miserable, and we will live a miserable, dissatisfied life for the rest of our life. This very important question is so simple, but it's life-changing when you get it right. The question is this, who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth or value? Because if I can't I mean, if, if, if I can get all up in your business for a minute, okay, I'm going to take that as a yes, you can. Some of you, some of you are living for a dad who is no longer alive. Some of you are living for a mother who can never give you what you think you want or need. Some of you are living for an, ex bo- an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, saying, I'm going to show them. How many of us got broken up with, and then we kind of like got in shape and did some, you know, went out and bought new outfits, and it's all to, I'm going to show them what they're missing out on. But you know what the reality is? Your ex-boyfriend, he's not even thinking about you but yet you're living for him. Maybe you're living for them, whoever them is, whoever they are. Whatever it is for you, here's what you're doing. And this is the cost of comparing. You are killing yourself to please them all. Who or what is going to bring meaning or define your worth in this life? Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you, you probably know where I'm going with this. The answer is obvious, but it's powerful. And it's important. Listen, church, if you answer anything, if your answer is anything other than Jesus, you are running a race that you will never, ever be able to win. You'll never win it. 
Who or what is going to define my worth and my value? It's an important question we've got to answer. If your answer is anything besides Christ, you are running a race that you will never, ever win. So I want us to grab hold of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where the author of Hebrews tells us this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Do you realize there's a race? Do you realize there's a lane specifically marked out for just you? Just you. You have a race to run. You have your own lane to run it in. There's a calling for you, a purpose for you, a mission for you, a lane that you are supposed to run and run that race marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. It means this. We stay in our lane and we fulfill our purpose. We do what we were created to do and we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Has anybody ever ran track in their life? I haven't. I'm just trying to get you to raise your hand. Has anybody ran track in their life? All two of you. Three. Okay. Then you know what I'm about to say. You know what I'm talking about. The fastest way to lose the race is what? To look anywhere but the finish line. The fastest way to lose your way. Even swimmers, when you start drifting right or left, the fastest way to lose your race is to look anywhere but at the finish line. You never look to the side. You just keep running with your eyes on the finish line, on the prize. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You run with perseverance. You stay in your lane. You're not looking to the right or the left. You run your race. You don't look at what John's doing. You don't look at what John's doing. You run your race. You don't look at anybody else. You just run your race. You run your race. Because, listen, you can't win anybody else's race. So why do we try? You will never win their race. You know why? Because you don't have the tools to win their race. You have your own race to run. Now Paul uses this metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So what's he tell us to do? So run to win. Run to win it. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it you know, to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Not a temporary one, but an eternal one. So what does Paul do? He says, so I run with purpose in every single step I take. I run with purpose. In other words, every time I put a foot down, it has a purpose. I'm intentional. Every time I take another step, when I'm running forward, I'm, I'm taking a step towards my divine purpose. I'm running in my lane. I'm running with purpose in every single step. And then what happens? When somebody else wins their race, don't be like Pastor George and tell them they suck. This is before I was a pastor, by the way. When someone else wins their race, what do we do? Then we celebrate them. 
because they're winning their race. They're not winning our race. We have our own race. We celebrate them. We celebrate God's blessing. We cheer them on because why? We may even learn something from them. I mean, if they're doing something that's a little bit better, we may say, hey, and I do this all the time when I listen to people way smarter than I am who's been doing this longer than I have. Man, that dude has his race and he's crushing it. And there's some things I can learn to better run my race from this guy. What is wrong with that? What can I learn from what you did and how can I apply it to my own race and my own lane? But what we don't do is we don't compare with a heart that says, well, I'm never going to measure up to that. I'm never going to be as awesome as Pastor Jesse. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a little less than. Man. And we do that. Why do we do that? Because for some selfish reason, we're going, hey, their win doesn't bring any, like, inner validation or satisfaction to me. So I'm not going to celebrate him. But Jesus, pleasing him, serving him, glorifying him, is the only thing that does bring us validation and satisfaction. So we run with purpose in every single step in the lane he set before us. Purpose in every step. Listen, transparency, I have a lane. I have a lane. My friends have their lanes, and they're crushing it in their lanes. And I used to get jealous of it. Why? <laughs> Wish my church was as big as theirs. But I have a lane, and I've learned. They're in their lane, and they're running it well. And I've learned I, I can't run their race. I cannot run their race. And you know what? They can't run mine. They can't run my race. Let me tell you what my wins are. Let me tell you what my three lanes are. Let me tell you the three things that I consider wins. The first thing is this, leading this church, leading Creekside Church. I believe with all my heart that there is no better place for spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation to take place than the local church. When, when, when you get plugged in and engaged in the life of the local church. And by plugging in, what I'm talking about is this is our home. We're engaged. We're a participant. We're, we're a contributor, not a consumer. You know, we're all serving. We're using our gifts that God's given us to make a difference in the lives of those around us. This is our family. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. And I believe that life change happens best when you are plugged in, when you're rooted into a local church. When you're, when you're plugged in and rooted into a youth group. Or when you are giving the care of your children over to our children's ministry who are loving and leading them towards Jesus. Leading this church. The second thing is releasing leaders. Now listen, some believe that pastors just pastor churches. Yep, no. God has called and assigned me to build and release leaders. My God-given assignment is to help others succeed. It's not about me. 
Matter of fact, if you ever said, dude, I really like your church, it's not my church. My God-given call is to help others succeed, and I'm going to do that without apologizing for it. Because that's what we do. We, we don't recruit volunteers. We release leaders. You know why? Because volunteers, you know, they do a good thing. They do good things. But leaders change the world. This is what I feel my assignment is, to invest in the, the emerging generations so they, and have them stand on our shoulders so they can do way more than we've ever done. Or way more than we can ever do. Leading this church. Releasing leaders. And the third thing is building a collection of shoebox cards. Anybody know what a shoebox card is? It's a greeting card by the... It's not Hallmark, it's shoebox. And that can sound a little odd to a lot of us here, but let me explain it to you. Shoebox cards are, you know, they're, there's this niche of cards, niche or niche? You don't say quitch, right? Quiche? Okay. The way the, it's the way the hamster runs. And um, shoebox cards, they're usually really funny and sarcastic, which is kind of our love language in the Willis home. And it's a spiritual gift as well. But we love these cards, and my wife and my daughter and I try to outdo each other with these shoebox cards. Now, Next time you're in Walmart or next time you go to anybody that sells cards, you're going to be remembering that going, i got to find a shoebox card to see what PG's talking about. But whenever I get a card for my wife or daughter, talking about building a collection of shoebox cards, whenever I get a card for my wife or my daughter with a note of love and appreciation, that is a significant win for me because it represents another season of being faithful to my wife, of being faithful to my daughter, being faithful leading this church, and serving with integrity. Full transparency, I save every birthday card I get. I have stacks of them in my bedroom. Drawers filled with them, boxes filled with them. Even deeper transparency, every appreciation note I get from you guys, thank you note or appreciation note, I save. I have a, a, a drawer, a drawer, a drawer filled with them, not just from here but my previous church as well. I save them because it reminds me it reminds me that I'm hitting the mark. It reminds me that I'm running my race and I'm winning. And, and it reminds me that I'm in my lane and it doesn't distract me. Because when I start thinking about what so-and-so is doing down the street or what so-and-so is doing here or how much money so-and-so is making, what happens? I become dissatisfied in my life. Box cards, lifting up the name of Jesus and doing what I know He's called me to do. See, that's a win. That's my race. That's my race. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Friends, listen. What I've come to learn later in life, which I, I wish I learned it earlier, I can't win anyone else's race, but I can win mine. What I'm here to tell you is, you can't win anybody else's race. 
but you can win your race. I don't know what it is for you. You may not build the biggest business, but, you know, whatever business you have, you may run it and operate it with integrity. And that's winning your race. I don't know, for some others, you may not have the biggest house on the street, but you make every single one of your kids sporting events and plays and musicals. And that's your race. That's you winning your race. You may not have the biggest public ministry or whatever, but you show up every week, every Sunday, and pour your lives into leading and loving our children. And one day, because of your investment, your commitment, they will be significantly different because of what you did. That's your race. That's you winning and running your race in your lane. Right now, when, you know, they're doing this at school, and they're doing that at school, and they're partying, and you wish you could, or whatever, and you're just making a decision, I'm going to do my best to get through school. Guess what? That's your race. Your commitment to do what is necessary to be your best in school, that's you winning your race. Run that race. Because what I know to be true is this. Nobody can beat you at being you. Nobody can beat you at being you. You have purpose in every single step. Not looking to the side, but you have your eyes on Christ running towards the prize. Why? Because there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. The fastest way to kill something special, the fastest way to kill God's given purpose in your life is to compare it with somebody else. You can't win anybody else's race, so what do you do? You wake up every day with your eyes on Christ, on Jesus. And you, you, defi- you ask, who's going to define my value and my worth today? And you begin to look at yourself with God goggles to see, see yourself the way God sees you. And you say, Jesus, wake up and declare, Jesus will define my worth and my value today. Because this is who he has created me to be. This is my race he called me to run. I, I, I've got to run it with purpose because i got a purpose to fulfill. i got a mission to accomplish. i got people to love. And i got a family to raise. I've got a church to lead. And i got some shoebox cards to collect this is my race run your race church run your race with perseverance run it with purpose in every step when you do you will not you know, I mean, the, the reality you're not going to receive some earthly temporary prize that pass away that passes away but you will receive a heavenly crown that will never ever fade that's winning your race. Let's stand together. Father, we ask today by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us. Enable us, Father God, not to look to the left or to the right, but to keep our eyes 
on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Now, with every eyes closed, listen, here's what I want to ask you. All of those who may be saying here today, in light of our message in a time of reflection, comparison gets under my skin sometimes. I can't stand the fact that I compare my life to other people. I feel less than often. I feel inadequate. I often feel guilty. I long for what somebody else has. I find myself jealous at times, envious of something, and I'm sick and tired of it. I know it's not fun to admit, but let's make, let's call it what it is. Let's say, God, I need your help to overcome this. And listen, by doing that, I'm going to say, I'm the first one to raise my hand saying, I need God's help. And I'm going to invite you to join me. If you've been wrestling with comparison in your life, now students, we're in church, God knows, and I know because I think every single adult in this room has scrolled through social media and compared their life with what they see. Why does my friend get to be on the beach? Her feet, her book. I hate her feet. I hate the beach. I wish I was there. Every single one of us compares. If that's you, raise your hand. You feel inadequate. You feel guilty. You feel less than because of this. If that's you, lift up your hands. Lift up your hands and say, yes, I need help to overcome the curse of comparison. It's keeping me from advancing towards God's preferred future in my life. I'm raising my hand. Now I'm going to pray for those who have their hands raised. Father, I pray today for all hands raised that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do a work here and now today. God, you are more, we, are, we are more than conquerors, you say, in, in Christ Jesus. And we pray, God, that by the power of Christ, you would help us conquer and overcome the destructive power of comparing our lives with other people. Father God, may we fall so in love with you and have laser focus on which you've called us to do, that we're not tempted to look to the left or to the right, but only to you. And when we can uh, clearly define, this is my lane, this is my focus, this is my purpose, this is my mission. God, may may we not only be satisfied with the lane that we're in, but may we embrace it, running it faithfully, not to gain earthly possessions, but solely to please and glorify you, knowing we can't win anyone else's race. God, nobody can beat us at being, uh, being us. So help us, Father God, to do what you've created us to do. And Father, help us to find joy in it, running only to please to serve, to glorify you. And if that's you, shout amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. You guys, you are loved. I believe God has a better tomorrow for you than he has today. And we're going to worship and we're going to celebrate his goodness and faithfulness. Let's sing.